0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm speaking to Sindhu V, a fantastically funny performer, very, very funny comedian indeed, someone who enjoyed before she came to comedy uh, a very uh, full life. She's a mother. She was an investment banker. She's previously been a model. She has four degrees. She is... uh, I suppose when someone has four degrees, that's when you can start calling them a towering intellect. I don't know if she'd go along with that, but she is a very, very bright and a very sharp lady indeed. Uh, She also is a self-identified graduate of this podcast, which, um, as you can imagine, hearing her say that to me backstage, pleased me no end um I am so thrilled and proud that this podcast is now at the stage whereby people who've come up listening to it are going on to achieve the sorts of fabulous things as Sindhu is I think you're really going to enjoy this one if you are and um, I think you're really going to enjoy this one comma and um it, uh, particularly so if you are uh, thinking about starting comedy later in your own life um And if you feel that perhaps it's an impossibility, uh, then Sindhu has got some very encouraging and wise words for you. So this was recorded live at Podfest Birmingham, and uh, it was loads of fun. Thank you to everyone there who looked after us. Without further ado, this is Sindhu V. Thanks so much for coming, Sindhu. Um, I feel like you whispered something to me before we started, but I didn't catch it. Would you like to re-whisper it now?
1: Sure. I said that was a very nice introduction. Thank you. Oh, nice. I'm just a polite kind of person.
0: Okay. Um, Is Meteoric Rise, is that fair? I feel like you were doing the new act competitions two minutes ago, and then, bang, you're everywhere. Yeah,
1: well, um, I mean it would be very strange if I said yes my rise is meteoric that would just be crazy but things have happened very quickly they sort of, it sort of turned and then it's just been go 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 since then so yeah and I haven't been doing comedy that long so I've been very lucky <laughs> very good very lucky.
0: let's see if we can break down some of that humility <laughs>
1: Um
0: so let's start i guess with whereabouts are you in your career for people who aren't familiar with you what kind of things are you doing at the moment
1: so i am currently on my first uk tour you know that i'm taking a break to come here to do this because i love the podcast and i like you
0: um, so already we're getting a good sense of the status involved in sindhu's <laughs> act
1: <laughs> and so the the tour which is exciting i did my first debut so i did the debut hour in august of last year um, that did very well and then I'm on the tour I've got um, I've got a second series on Radio 4 Sindustan coming out I've got three scripts to our option so I'm working on that I'm I've been on life at the Apollo. Mm-hmm. That was my mind. I thought I would just vomit into that sign that goes up. I was like, <laughs> "Don't vomit!" I don't, don't think vomit. anyone's done that yet. That well, like, it was close. I was, I was literally saying, "Major." There's, there's a particular prayer in Hinduism, Hanuman Chalisa, which, you, which gives you strength. It's the 40 verses to Hanuman. I was standing behind there when the smoke was coming up, saying "Jai Hanuman, again, Because I thought I'm going to vomit into this, but I didn't. Um, and so, yeah, that's where it's at. I mean, I feel like. Uh, you know, I've just got signed in the U.S.,
0: so ah, there's a lot of stuff
1: going on. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and you brought yourself to comedy in quite an unusual, at quite an unusual time of your life.
1: Yeah, I mean, everything about me being in starting comedy was unusual. I had never seen live stand-up. I had never seen it. I'd seen a DVD of Eddie Murphy, like <laughs> raw, you know, and I knew it was a thing. But I didn't. I grew up in India. There was no stand up at the time. There is now, and it just wasn't something that anyone I knew. Like it was first of all, if I'd ever said to my parents, "I want to be a stand up," mm. my mother would have shot me easily, easily, without a doubt. I was in a. I, I was in. I was in a production at my school of Godspell, and I. I had the. I was a tree. Uh, I, I, was, I had to sort of sing and be a tree. And my parents were like, "You're going to not get an A in math. You have to drop out." And I dropped out um, and I didn't get an A in math and then they took me out of the school so that's it was we, a bit, we have was a bit reassembled
0: tough. the cast of that performance
1: please welcome <laughs> <laughs> So you know that was very tough so stand-up was not a thing everyone used to say, "Oh you're very funny um, but you know so what you don't become a stand-up because people think you're funny and then one day it just it, I just fell literally fell into it I okay speaking
0: as someone who Identifying you as someone who has four degrees, is that right? Like if you need to pause to count your degrees (laughs) You have four degrees, you've studied all over the world Yeah You've spent time in the States. Oh, yeah. Did you You live there? Whereabouts did you live? Uh, no,
1: I I, I I was doing my PhD there in Chicago.
0: Okay, PhD in Chicago, naturally.
1: But I quit it. I stopped. I didn't do it. I didn't finish it. It was taking so long. It was so boring at some point. Okay, like, oh, okay. Well, we'll get on to that. But Four
0: Degrees, I believe you briefly worked as a model for Yves Saint Laurent.
1: I opened their show in India. That's
0: it. Parents, just merely opening a I show my,
1: my, my parents didn't let me sign or anything and you were an investment banker yes. you
0: had like a proper career as yeah that was banker. my career Yeah. so that doesn't strike me as the sort of personality who would fall into anything how does that person fall into stand-up comedy without it being a deliberate decision
1: okay that's a really really good question actually in, in, in all the times that people have asked me about this they haven't asked me that way the person that did those degrees and that, was, um, and that was a banker was very together. I was doing all the things that I not only was supposed to do but wanted to do. I wanted to do well and I wanted to be solvent. And I didn't, I didn't want to have an arranged marriage so quickly as my mother did want me to. So I needed to be financially independent because the basic rule in life is if you're dependent on your parents for money, they're going to tell you what shit to do. That's how it goes. That's all over the world. So I thought if I could make myself independent, then I didn't have to, then I would have more freedom. And I was like, my thought process was then I could have a few boyfriends and then go back to India and get married. That was, I was, I'm very basic that way, okay? It was like, that's what I need to do. Okay. And so that person who did all those things was very together. The person who went to comedy, the Sindhu that went to comedy, I was not together, I had stopped working. I was at home. I didn't enjoy it. I loved my I loved my children, but I never didn't. I was never set set out to be a stay at home mother. I realized it was a very lucky position to be in. But you only feel lucky about stuff that's part of your choice. You know, a lot of women don't feel lucky if they're in a place, and I was in that place. I had to quit working because I went a bit bananas. Um, So I. They were like, you should take some leave. And also, I mean, in banking, I was a woman and I was a brown woman. They were like, please do not have a meltdown here and then sue us. Like, that's just, we don't want that. Please. And they were very good. Because the things
0: that make you an asset in terms of diversity also become a threat.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly. I mean, I could could have, you know, yeah, exactly. It's like triple the, you know, I was a big threat that way. And I I wasn't planning to sue them or anything because I was refusing to accept that I wasn't all there.
0: Let's uh, just—I mean, we're barely scraping the forty-minute mark—but let's get into you going bananas. <laughs>
1: I went <laughs> bananas. What
0: exactly do you mean? Is this like a, 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 breakdown, a breakdown, a stress breakdown? Yeah. No. What contributed to that? What was the? I
1: think that's what it was. I think I thought, you know, I've done all these things I was supposed to do, and I was in banking, and it was such a big deal because I was doing a PhD in philosophy, so everyone thought I was some kind of magic person that went from philosophy to banking. Do you, were you doing them concurrently, or no? No. You, I, you when did... I, I quit the philosophy PhD, and then immediately became a banker. Okay, and I was rubbish at math which as an Indian is such a shame I'm sorry <laughs> but it's a fact but I no I think the fact I think I had the breakdowns I had a very young child um, I think the Sindhu that went into comedy was uh, trying to get out and the Sindhu that was n- not letting that person out was the one who was like no we have to do this I had a child and I wanted to be an MD I wanted to have four kids and have four nannies and do that whole banking corporate thing I had one kid and I missed this child so much I used to go to work and cry in the bathroom and I I didn't care about deals which was not what I was like and i just couldn't reconcile what was going on so my body my psyche was like here i'll reconcile it for you i will go cuckooks and completely lose my shit on the tube one day and they'll pull the chain for you i was that person you've got to tell us more about that what did that what do you what do you mean I have you... to wait to see it cuz it's getting written up okay no but okay. that but th- no, there but was that's a, a
0: crisis event on a tube oh, yeah. frame. i mean
1: you know when you see oh break this in an emergency yeah. and you always think Being an Indian, I think, ah, that'll never work, we'll all die, but it turns out it works. So that, and and, and I think that's what happened, that was the, that was that moment. So then after that, everything I did was full of a lot of chaotic joy, and chaotic sadness, and a massive loss of identity. I mean, I still did everything very well, don't get me wrong. (laughs) You know, I did, I did, I mean, you know. um, But I just didn't, I had no map anymore felt like a massive failure. Because I thought, well, where am I going? What, am I just going to the school run? Shoot me now. Because kids are not there to make you feel worthwhile. Kids are there to be kids. And, and I couldn't understand the part of me that was so into my kids, and you know, anyway. Did you not, did you not
0: expect that when you were planning to have your first child? Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you think, I'm gonna take this in my stride, I'm gonna be an MD, discipline, hard work, yeah. organization, and there'll be a kid there? I
1: mean, look at my background. The, the, you, 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 know, you mentioned it, living over here and there and then studying. Do you think I ever had a plan? My plan was always to excel and then to do it in the ways that were acceptable within the culture and world I came from, you know. Um, and now I had no plan because also the thing is you get so much of your sense of where you're at from the outside world, and as a stand-up, I appreciate that I'm particularly attuned to what people think, and, uh, and so the outside world was like, you're a mom, you're great, you've had a great career, you're a mom, you've got kids, why are you not happy? And your husband has a job, so everything's fine, you're so lucky you can stay at home. All of that was yes, 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 but there was this massive gaping hole of, but what am I achieving? Where is the next sign that, you know, yes, correct, you're on the path. Oh, oh, what is it? You know? And I thought it was maybe, uh, you know, I, I was chair of the Parents Association. Of course I was. <laughs> um, and, but then that, see, then what happened, and this is why I didn't fall into comedy. Uh, I mean, I was not deliberate about comedy. My way of dealing with this was to then become, I stopped giving a shit about everything. I was like, I'm going to raise the kids how I want. I'm going to look how I want. I'm going to do what I want. Um, because now I have no map. And that brought me that, that made me very sad because I've always had a map. And so it was in that space you know, like, I had one kid, I, and he was great, and I quit working for him, and him and I did everything together. And then I had another kid, because you can't have one. My husband's an only child. Like, I am not doing that to any other woman. Um, so, or man. Uh, so I, you know, then I had another kid, and then at some point, I was like, I guess I'm good at having kids. Fuck it, okay, let's have another one. So I had another one. It wasn't very planned. It was like, this is what I do now. You know?
0: You're going to excel at it by having as many children as, as possible. As many kids as
1: <laughs> I can and then realizing with you I could have done this differently so I'll do it with you. With you I could have done this differently so I'll do it with you. Kid number 10 is going to be perfect. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Um, but then what happened is I had the third kid and then when she was about two I stumbled into comedy and what a gift. I mean, it, this <laughs> It's crazy though because I don't say this lightly but nothing has ever felt to me as much as as much like coming home every single question mark every single sense of what the fuck am i doing here it just got erased doing open mic which says something cuz open mic is so <laughs> crazy hard and crazy awful it just got erased it was like and so you know it was 13 years though before that 13 years of doing everything else And not being constantly unhappy but being lost
0: And 13 years of Presumably when you had your breakdown you, Did you feel When you were thinking oh I I've, I've fucked this up I'm shit I can't, I can't do it I don't know what the thing is I don't have a map anymore Did you not have a kind of a core sense Of yourself as someone who Excels at whatever you do Did, you, did part of you think well at least I can fall back On the fact that I'm brilliant and disciplined At everything No. or no. did that all go
1: That's not how breakdowns work breakdowns are breakdowns. You you know, I wasn't, I'm telling you all this in hindsight. At the time, I was, I couldn't leave the house. It was a breakdown. I couldn't leave the house. I used to think, you know, I, I, I had, and to bring yourself back from that and then look around at your peers who are all going about their business, you think, wow, this is it for me. This is, I think that's how a lot of these kinds of things work. They're called breakdowns because something in you, you lose a sense of any capacity to be um, to even just to get on—it's tough. It's very tough. It was not fun. I'll tell you that it was not fun. But it made me. Uh, it made basically. I think what happened was this could have been very prolonged for someone like me, but karmically it must be my my moment had come, and so the universe was like, right? We can take a like a decade getting her to get over this, or we're just going to smash her to pieces on this tube and then just, it'll fucking fast forward itself. And it did. (laughs) It did. So...
0: Let's talk about your your very first uh, dabble, your very first time you dipped your toe in comedy from that. No, in fact, let's put a pin in that because what I want to ask is I think there will be people listening to this podcast, as you know, who are excited about the idea of comedy, who are not yet comedians but may one day try it.
1: Oh, do it, man, do it.
0: Well, do you think that, and I think as someone who started in later life when you had a, a, a couple of kids when you started, just uh, three when you started, like that's so unusual And there will be people listening to this who've got three kids who are like, God, I'd love to be a comic, but I could never do it. Do you think that they could follow, is there like a Sindhu V model? I could feel you giving them hope, like, hey, anyone can do it. Do you think anyone can do it? Or do you think only you could do it under those circumstances?
1: No, not at all, not at all. I don't know where people will land in their comedy. I don't know, but can you do it and love it? Yes, because the thing is, all I did was I went to a workshop a funny women workshop not yeah it was this is a long story but I went to that workshop and from there someone said oh there's a course and you know Logan's course Logan Murray's course mm-hmm. do that so I thought many women with children say I want to go to a Pilates class yeah, or I sure. want to do this I t- just said okay well you know the kids are here I'll do this I'll do this um, and I went to that so anyone can do that and I, I, I tell you what if you feel that you want to do it you must one thing I've learned is that if you don't listen to the voices in your, your gut telling you go and do this, then somehow you will be made to do it in a way that's much less pleasant. I think, I think banking for me, you know, going into banking, I think there were many moments in banking where I could have taken this, I could have slowed down my life a lot more, but I was too young. I thought I have to keep on. I, I shut a lot of my own voices down. Okay. And so I think now I'm of the view that, you know, go and try it. I'm not saying you're going to go and get onto live at the Apollo. I don't know that. But if you think, oh, I can't do it, you can do it. You can do it. Just, it's very simple. There's a formula. Go and do some open mics. Go and do a course. Read about it. I had never seen live stand-up. It's your podcast, I swear to God, which I used to listen to, and you know that. I used to listen to it because hearing a podcast is easy when you're waiting for a kid to come out of school of course you lose all your friends the other school mothers like hi i'm like shut up <laughs> just you know i used to be i became very focused on it because it brought me so much joy i felt like i felt like someone was calling me and saying you've been in like a you know you've been in exile from yourself for so many years come 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 this is what it was for that's what comedy felt like to me. So I was always on it, you know what I mean? And um, and I think anyone who wants to do it should try it, and you'll see where it goes. But you can do it, for sure.
0: Tell us about your first gig. I, I feel like your first gig probably went really well.
1: Well, the first time I did it was at this workshop, and we all learned how to hold the mic, and it was a three-hour workshop, and so I told some stories. But, my first gig was the heats for funny women, which they, for months they said to me, "Do it do it, and I kept saying i 'm not a stand up and then I finally thought, "Well, what do I have to lose?" so i, I didn 't tell anyone not my husband not nobody and I went to the heats and um, it went well in the, i don 't know what was happening I was very out of body because i 'd never Lynn Parker said to us remember it's a, it's a it 's a five minute set and i said I put up my hand and said, Set of what." <laughs> and everyone thought it was a joke. They were like, ah, you're so funny. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was so, I was like, oh, that was a bad question. Do you know what I mean? I had no idea what was going on. None. And so I walked in, it was a bar in Soho, and I told three stories about my mother and I. It went well because people laughed. Um, so, yeah, that went well, sure. And I've had many gigs after that that didn't go well at all. In India, I once was gigging. There was maybe 300 people there, which in India is not hard. You just say, hello, there's a gig, and then immediately 500 people come. (laughs) And it was at night, and I was on a kind of raised stage, um, and... They, and, the, and the guy announced First of all, he turned off all the music It was a dancing night Turned off the music and said Now we have a comedian who left Delhi to, to go live in England You don't say that to Indians <laughs> I got on stage and they started heckling me And saying, you're shit You know, fuck off back to England Why are you here? And then some people jumped on stage and stood in front of me And said, we can be funnier than her. I did 17 minutes to that 17 minutes How? I was like, I'm obligated. I'm under contract. Like, what can I, I couldn't believe what was happening. And they were cursing at me in Hindi and English and like telling me that I was awful and a traitor and, you know, and what do you think? And they were talking to each other. Some, some people started singing. Because, you know, Bollywood, we love songs. They just started singing. It was mental. I've never felt so <laughs> like a fool. How many gigs <laughs> had you done at this stage? Oh, this is very early on. I've probably done, I don't know, not even 100 most
0: people within their first hundred gigs, most people's tough gig story is something like the backyard or up the creek. No,
1: this was very bad. And
0: A was- stage invasion and the audience singing you off.
1: Yeah, and and then and I mean and you know it was just terrible. And my cousins were there and they were just like, oh my god, what? Because you have to remember, I didn't. I was everyone in my life treated this as some kind of hobby, and they were like, what is she doing? And it was this huge. It was the worst. And then I just got off stage and my cousins came to me and they put me in their car and we drove home and they just took out Maker's Mark. And I just drank, drank, drank three quarters of the bottle.
0: Talk to me about the, the relationship between breakdown Sindu Sindhu, thinking, oh God, what am I going to do? And the Sindhu that can survive that experience.
1: Oh, well, um, hmm. you know, it's, it's interesting because... Breakdown Sindhu was not I'm a very I I was always very resilient I did very well And then I had this moment Where I just went I don't know that it was I don't I can't tell you I never wanted to stay in that space From the moment it happened I was like get me out of here Get me out of here This is not me But I also felt crushed I thought what if this is me Having said that, and then I got it, and then many years later, comedy came along, you know. And when you do comedy, you talk to people and they say you will die on stage. So then you die on stage, you can't complain. You say, I died on stage. And you wake up the next day and think, I got to go back and do this again if I'm ever going to be good at it. And I'm not going to not do this. Good or bad, death or live at the Apollo, I love this, I'm going to do it. That was, that's a huge instinct I had, always always, you know, there was these times I would sign up for We Are Funny project in the rain and I would have to do my son's math homework and then run to Liverpool Street and if you didn't make it by a certain cutoff, you couldn't get on and it was a huge effort for me but I would go and I would think, even if this doesn't work this is the best thing ever the, the thing about having a breakdown, or at least in my case my breakdown, is simplified shit a lot it was like, do you want to go back to that or do you not want to go back to that and I don't mean to a breakdown, but to that sense of what the fuck am I doing what am I doing, what am I doing? And you feel very guilty when you're not able to derive happiness from having a good family life. You think, what is wrong with me? Like, what is the matter with me? And I wanted this family. It's such a fucking mess, frankly. I, I, I honestly don't want to pretend like I know what it was. It was awful, and I had great days and bad days, and I would call my parents and complain. I blamed blame them for everything call them and say, you, it's all your fault. And they'd be like, well, you didn't even marry who we asked. <laughs> I'm like, that's true. That's true. But they always told me, they said this is, my father always said to me, you are discharging karma. This is that time. When it's discharged, this will be finished. And they came and stayed and helped me with the kids. Because, you know, if your daughter's gone bananas, you don't want to necessarily leave your grandchildren alone with her so much. <laughs> so they came. Yeah, my mother's like, no, no, I will come. You are always in such a shitty mood. I will take them. So they, you know, so all that. But I don't want to say that I can map what breakdown Sindhu felt like dying on stage. I don't, I don't feel they were that connected. And the breakdown wasn't something that became, it, it didn't define me, but it taught me. It taught me. It taught me about how important it is to have people around you that will just hold you when you get like that. And it reminded me how important our children are because they make us survive, you know? When you're feeling completely crazy and you have a young child, you think, I gotta get up, this kid cannot see this. I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna get my shit together and I'm gonna take him to nursery and then when I get home, I can fall apart. But that also means that you wanna be around your kid all the time who's like, why are you always here? (laughs) And it's like, because I feel strong around you, but you can't tell them that.
0: That's lovely. I love the idea of I feel strong around you.
1: Yeah, of course. But you Can you tell them that? Can't you tell them that? Not when they're little. They're like, no, sure. They're like Thomas the Tank. You're like, I feel strong around you. That's <laughs> what like, what's happening? That's crazy.
0: Okay. So that seems like you have a really strong core faith in what you're doing. Like that idea of like comedy has saved me. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like sure. you've discovered it, you found it, and you believe in it a million percent. Yeah. Is that ever rattled by tough gigs by pressure gigs things going wrong or does that always
1: not at all Ah, not at all because i think pressure is not something i'm scared of you know i'm raised under pressure pressure is not something i'm scared of I, I don't like it but you feel pressurized you get up and you go again you can't i mean for me the idea is and it was the same in banking and it was the same in academia it was you know it's and it's and, and it's the same in marriage you know, all the things, things that are worthwhile are hard and they pressure you. You can dislike it and you can avoid it, but you can't say, well, I can't function under pressure, but you also have to manage it. Like nowadays, I know that if I'm under too much pressure, I, my sentences don't come out how I think they're coming out because the kids are like, what are you saying? And I think, okay, like I, you know, I start talking from the middle of a sentence that's in my head. But no one else has heard the first part of the sentence. So I'm always like, well, on a Monday. And the kids are like, what? <laughs> and then I think i got to slow down because I have too much going on. So pressure, no. Did I ever think I was a shitty comic because of a bad gig? I don't know, but I didn't care. I was like, I'm going to do this. And let, let, let me be completely honest. I didn't have shitty gig after shitty gig after shitty gig. I've had m- my share. But I've always gone back and thought, Why, how could this be better? what you know i always think the audience is why didn't they laugh what could i have done differently but i've been in other situations that are highly pressured so i don't think this time round i would
0: So this is Sindhu, ladies and gentlemen, just a joy to talk to. You can hear how warm and funny she is, very naturally funny. And you can also uh, hear her intelligence and the extent to which she doesn't fuck about. So really joyous talking to her. You can catch up with Sindhu. You can find her website at sindhuv.com. That's S-I-N-D-H-U-V-E-E. Uh, You can find that link in the show notes as well. As you can find her Twitter, which is at Sindhu, and then just the letter V, without the double E this time, and then the word funny, as in V-funny. Sindhu V-funny at at Twitter. That isn't how Twitter works. Her Twitter is at Sindhu do be funny. So that's all of that stuff. Um, she's on tour as well. Sandhog is going to be at the Underbelly Festival uh, on the 18th of April, which is in a, just a few weeks. And she's going to be at the Soho Theatre with her debut show, Sandhog, from the 6th to the 16th of May. I suspect as well, I don't have the information in front of me, but I think that might well be not the first time she's done that show at Soho. So uh, I, I've, I'm fairly certain that she has sold sufficiently, that she's come back for another run. You know, you've got to go and see her, really. She's um, to have have leapt onto QI and Have I Got News For You in such a short space of time uh, and through no small amount of hard work, I'm sure. But just to be moving that fast, is very exciting. And I cannot wait to see... Uh, what she does and where she goes next. We'll get back to Sindhu in just a second. Just a quick shout-out for the tour. Thanks to everyone that's come and seen me uh, do the tour of End Of, my own stand-up comedy show. That was recently in Crawley. Thank you so much to all the pod fans and and the other people that came along to that. I mean, if you're listening to this, then you're a pod fan, even if only briefly. So, uh... (laughs) I don't know. I mean, the word that flashed into my head was normies. We can't call people that. But um, thank you to everyone of of all stripes that came along to Crawley. Uh, Cheltenham was a huge amount of fun as well, uh, as was Falmouth. And uh, there are plenty more places coming up soon over the next few weeks and months. Uh, I will have a big Edinburgh announcement for you soon, as soon as that is officially released, but that's going to be really fun. Um, The mini-announcement of that one is that I am doing a work in progress, officially, uh, every day, about 3pm, I think. I'll give you more details on the venue and what have you later, but uh, it's called Primer, and it is the base coat, undercoat, or petticoat of what will be a show next year. So I'm hoping that that's going to have the tone, if you've seen me on tour before, that that entire month is going to have the tone of the really fun, loose second halves that I tend to do where I work on new gear. So that should be loads and loads of fun. And um, by all means, get yourself down to the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to support the show and get access to the private podcast with all the extra bump. That will do for now. Let's get back to the brilliant Sindhu V. when you were on the open mic circuit did you as someone with uh, a family and uh, you know a thriving family and a successful career in investment banking and multiple degrees and so on did you and your work ethic specifically your self-discipline did you feel that you were surrounded by people with a similar
1: self-discipline um well i think a couple of things i was surrounded by people who are a lot younger And I think age plays a great part in this. Dude, when I was 25, if you'd met me at university, you would not think I had self-discipline. I used to be the last person to hand in assignments. I used to fax difficult assignments to my friend in Washington, D.C. and have her do the homework and fax it back to me (laughs) and then hand it in and get an A. That's who I was, okay? So if you're in your 20s, anything is Can we possible. strike one of the degrees from the record, please? Can we talk- <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It was remedial math. I failed it twice. so <laughs> It's fine. But, you know, so if you're in your 20s and you don't have self-discipline, I think, of course, you know, that's fine. Um, I did, no, no one had a family. No one. I felt a little self-conscious because I thought, oh, you know, my concerns are so different like this person sitting next to me is like oh man i had such a bad ketamine trip and i was like oh uh, i've had a really tough time with math homework at home like i was completely at, at odds but then i realized that comedians are very comedians are very generous i feel if you you know if you're there and you're being yourself and you're not you know and you're not pulling any shit comics have very soft hearts Ultimately, You know what I mean? So in the open mic circuit, people didn't care ultimately. You know, we talked about our material. We talked about um, what we thought was working in someone's material and what was not working. And I was very curious also about drugs, frankly. I was very, uh, specifically drugs, you should know. I was very curious. I'd be like, what is MDMA? Uh, and so they, they I, th- I think in the beginning, a lot of the younger comics thought I was very fascinating. They're like, what, why are you? And I'm like, I've never done it. I'm so excited. They're like, don't start now. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, no, I, they didn't have that. Um, they didn't have the same self discipline, but they could wake up at 11 in the afternoon. You know, I woke up, I had three kids. I had to get them breakfast, get them to school, do all that stuff, then during the day, do other stuff. You know, it's only recently that I've full time, full time started doing this. Do, do you
0: feel that you found your voice as a comic very early on?
1: I have not found my voice. People always tell me they think I found my voice. I don't think so.
0: Why do you think they tell you? Why do you think there's a perception of you as someone who's found your voice?
1: I think it's because people think I'm very confident on stage. So they think, oh, this must be it. Look at her. She's always talking about the same fucking five things, her mother, her husband, her kids. And she's so confident about it, and people are laughing, so that must be your voice. I've got it. I mean, I don't know. I don't, that's what I imagine they think. But I don't think anyone who's been doing comedy for five years can possibly have found their voice. Past, not, not even vaguely. That's my belief. And I think that's a very American stand-up idea, and I very much prescribe to that.
0: Did you do, have you done much stand-up in America? No, you weren't doing it at no, all there.
1: No, but I've done a lot of reading and thinking, and also, you know... Uh, a lot of this kind of idea of what is stand-up versus what is interesting speaking that is sort of funny. It's two different things in my opinion. So,
0: On the subject of interesting speaking, is that that, is or do you mean to draw a, a distinction between the two? Yeah. What is that distinction for you? Why, why isn't interesting speaking that is funny, why isn't that stand-up?
1: I Because I think that stand-up, you know... Yeah. I think stand-up is a bit more joke-heavy. It doesn't necessarily have to be interesting, but it has to be jokey, mm-hmm. joke-heavy. And also I think stand-up is in bits, so I could do an hour of just different, 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 different stuff. Not one-liners, but just, oh, you know, look at this glass of water. What's going on with Stu's hair? Look at that machine. By the way, your hair looks great. Thanks. Um, so all that kind of stuff, whereas I think there's, you know, there's these ideas that you start off with a little big story, and it, there's a narrative, and it's interesting. I think that's great. I don't I mean I think it can be very stand-up y, it can also be not stand-up y. Stand-up itself can never be narrative story story, it's stand up. And I and this is not a value judgment. Mm-hmm. It's just a distinction, you know, about um, I know that like uh, you know, when I was writing my first hour, I was paranoid, paranoid that it would just be funny talk and that it wouldn't be joke heavy. And I was paranoid about this. But um, ultimately I got it to a place where I was happy enough with it. That I thought, you know, but I was constantly trying to go away and do little bits. Like there's a little—you've heard the show. There's a bit about Uber Mm -hmm. at the end of a very heavy bit because it's 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 jokey, and I think people need to come up and down and have a breath. Um, And of course, my first hour, funnily enough, ended up being like a narrative, which was not intentional at all, but it ended up being there, and that was very helpful.
0: You you seem to have started stand up in a strategic way, by which I mean you did a forty-minute show the yes. year before well, what, you know what, what comedy agent chris quayle calls the coward's hour yeah exactly uh, and it's
1: so funny because i'll tell you what was strategic about it was everyone said this to me and i and i couldn't get my head around it what i so here's what happened i did um a, i did two weeks with but we did a split half an hour for, for two i think it was 10 days i went to edinburgh edinburgh is august holidays school holidays mm-hmm. so 10 days away from the kids you need to have infrastructure in london The kids are like running feral, what are you going to do? Then I decided I'm going to come and do the whole thing and see how London manages with three kids out of school of whom one is a teenager. My parents couldn't travel that August, so I had all this infrastructure, my in-laws and then some friends, but I then sat down with my agents and said I could at any point pull this and go back. They were like, okay, if you're going to do an hour, that's going to be a little tricky. And I was like, I don't want to do an hour. I n- In fact, I never want to do an hour, but I want to do the whole month. I want to do lots of different things. So we agreed that if I wanted to pull out quickly, right, um, then, sorry, that's my mind, uh, then I should do Free Fringe. Okay. and just do a 40-minute thing because it was—it it might happen, it might not to happen. To just
0: practice being away for a month that and seeing if everyone can survive. That was the strategy. Everyone okay, thought it was okay. a comedy
1: strategy. And I was like, no, it's a home strategy. The background to the comedy
0: strategy, for those that don't know, is that if you do 40 minutes, you are ineligible for the newcomer uh, nominations, so you can do a 40 minute show one year and get used to the rhythm of Edinburgh and then go back the next year having already done a full show and technically be a newcomer.
1: Yeah, exactly. Hence,
0: the coward's hour.
1: Exactly. And I was very cowardly about what would happen in London because my husband works all the time. And so, really, I thought. If someone anything could like, if my in-laws get sick, I'll have to go back. So I, it was so beautifully, it, it went so well. And as it happened, I took a week out and did filming with uh, with Deborah Francis White for her movie Say My Name. So it was fine. Then when I came back, and what's interesting is, they're not the same show. There's probably fifteen or twenty minutes, twenty five max from the forty minutes. I thought it would be really easy because I thought, see, this is exactly this. Is, I will listen. Man, you remember I used to fax the homeworks. Remember that? I would have done the same show with 10 minutes added on like this in a heartbeat and been like, what are you going to do about it? Turns out it was a different show because I was writing new stuff and because I was no longer interested in talking about that. There was a lot of stories about my mother and I. And this was very different. This turned out to be about marriage. Who knew?
0: Do you feel... Wait, wait, what was the first bit of material you had that you felt, this is me? This is... This is this is my best stuff. It was the first time that you could kind of see it in the context of what you were doing and go, oh, oh, I've got, I've, got I've got a good bit here.
1: Yeah, it, you know, uh, I, 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 I had a lot of bits that were working for, from the get-go because they were about my mother and I and my mother's quite a character. But I never considered those my bits. They were stories about mummy. Okay. They weren't mine. so I and, think, and how much how
0: much invention was going into them, and how much were you simply relating her being funny,
1: like nil, like she was this okay. person, you know she was that person who would come and say to me in things like, "Are you lesbian i'm like I'm, it's lesbian, and no, I'm not a lesbian because she was worried I wasn't getting married because maybe I was lesbian, and then she kept insisting about whether, oh, girls, your age must have urges." who says that to my daughter? <laughs> and then she said, and so do you have a sexual tools like a dodo? I'm like, what is that? <laughs> Mommy, where is this going? It's not even dodo, it's dildo. So you didn't have, you have to make it up. She's sure. really funny. The first bit that I did, I'm trying to think, was, um, oh man, I'm trying to think. I know. I, okay, the one that springs to mind is I did a bit based on um, the scene in Planet Earth where the baby iguanas get eaten by the snake. I bit. Yeah, I did that bit, and I and I ended up calling my 40-minute show "Iguana Mom." But I did that bit, and it was purely based on. It had no. My mother was not in the story. It was me and my attitude to my children, based on what I saw in there. And that was the first time I thought I can be funny without leaning on a story. Uh, it can come out of the center of my head. I was always very very worried Stu, that I would not be able to be funny from my own brain despite the fact that i was a finalist at the bbc or this that i I was always because the
0: stuff the material with which you were a finalist was about kind of reported funny stuff from your family
1: yes and the way i presented that stuff that was you know my face and what i was doing but i thought you know how to write a funny bit just a funny bit and uh it is it is an it is a it is a thing you learn to do it
0: talk to me about that talk about so when you started writing are you sitting and writing stuff down typing it what are you doing
1: never 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 I've always had like a intuition about something being funny and it's not in its best form it's an intuition it's a it's a concept it's an idea and then I'll usually go to open mic and start to talk about it and and I'll tape it that I write like that I write on stage really then I'll go back I'll do that lots of times and then I'll go back and listen to all the recordings and then I'll start to fix the words because certain words in certain places and I'll try to make it the least amount of words to get that intuition but you need to see if the intuition has legs just because I find it funny that I missed a train because I was wanking in the shower doesn't mean that everybody would find that funny do you know what I mean? (laughs) you know what i mean so sure. and 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 also what makes that funny you know and why is that funny so then i spend time with that that's in fact something that's just started uh not the wanking in the shower <laughs> the, the that that notion God knows where it came from. It fell into my head and I um, have started working it out. I'm on tour. So the first half hour, I'm my own tour support. And I started working out these kinds of ideas because I think these intuitions live in places that are very universal. Mm. What is funny about this? It's not just that. what is funny and how to make it funnier. How How can we push this out? So I'll do that on my own in whatever time is left ever in my brain for that okay that's what i do i don't write anything longhand up front never it's always an intuition and then you work it out it takes a long 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 time
0: yeah and and you have limited time are there any are there any things that you've managed to do that in terms of creative efficiency
1: well it's because of your podcast you you were you did a podcast i i was so frustrated with how unproductive i was during the day that i did well first of all i wept because that's what I do. I just wept. I wept, and then I thought, right. And then I got on the... Um, I was exercising. I was running, and I was listening to your podcast, and it was Joe Lyset. And he talked about the Pomodoro thing.
0: Sure.
1: I've been doing that since then. That was like four, three years ago. And I've been doing that since then. So then I sit that's down... That's like
0: writing for... Is it 20 minutes or 25 minutes? It's 20 minutes, and a five-minute break. And, five and I, don't minute break. I, th- I don't
1: know what it's called Pomodoro. I don't understand. It's got nothing to do with the tomato. It's just... That's what they call it. So that technique, I started using that... Um, and to just, then I will say, okay, here are the recordings. Then I'll write everything out longhand every single time I've said it and think what's going to happen. And something will come out of that process.
0: Okay, so, you, so the writing longhand happens, yep, but it's after later. the stuff exists.
1: Much after form. I've said it five, six, seven times, and I think this is worth it. But it's hard to find those blocks of time, you know. And that's something I'm struggling with right now, that the more demands you have on your time, because you can say, well, I'm at home writing, but you're not, right? The dog is barking, the kids are fighting. And you, how much can you threaten your kids? How much? Before it becomes an issue, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I put a notice on, the, on my bedroom door where, and I do my writing. Say, so if you knock, I will finish you off. I've written that. <laughs> it's on my door. If you knock, I will finish you off. Now, I've left it loose. What does finish off mean? Could mean I take away your phone. Could mean anything. It's scary enough, but also not, like, so bad that, like, you know, I couldn't talk about it. So what do the kids do? They slide notes under the door. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, we're not knocking. This is the curse of parenthood,
0: isn't it? That Your kids will always be cleverer than you because they saw you go ahead. So they've learned how to fit in your systems, yeah. And
1: so then people are like, well, why don't you go right in a cafe? Because someone's got to make sure that they eat at seven. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't... But I'll get there. I'll get there. I'm determined to get there. I'll make the time. Something I noticed, I was
0: looking at some of your stuff on YouTube, and there are some things from like about five years ago where you were doing when you talked about interesting speaking that is funny you were doing there was a, a thing oh, called the, the shift
1: that was just a, there's some friends of mine run that in Delhi. okay
0: it's it's so it's a deli it's it's a bit like ted talks
1: yeah and it was just for students for young people and they okay. asked me to come because these are my friends so they know what a weird journey i'd had and i then just started stand up mm-hmm. so they talked to me about because i failed at so many things that they were like you have to talk about that because that's not what anyone ever sees sure they always think you've made it and everything i literally failed so much
0: but it's five years ago you just started stand-up and your manner on stage is it's very similar to what you what you're doing now i don't mean to suggest what you do now is still nascent but you already had that i think i had
1: that yeah i mean i remember i did a gig at angel and there was a comic uh I, i can't remember exactly who but they'd been going for a long time they were headlining and they said to me they said you have a great presence on stage don't ever change that so i guess that's just that i mean that's nothing i've
0: something i noticed about those delhi videos were that you were slipping into hindi. another language into yeah, yeah. hindi yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah, and uh like that, quite a lot and it really picked up it gave your voice a different rhythm and it enabled you to kind of heighten certain uh, uh, elements that you were working on do you feel when you're working purely in english at the edinburgh festival that your wings are clipped a little bit that you have to stay in one language
1: no, because both, I have two first languages. Actually, English is my first language. Hindi I learned later because we lived abroad and I didn't speak Hindi and then we moved to India. So, no, I don't at all. Okay. And I also think that a huge part of learning about your, yourself as a stand up is to recognize that you, how you are on stage. So now I'm more physical. I used to be very still and then just move my arms and now I'm more physical. And I've also learned to m- pay attention. If there's, a, if there's a bit that's working really well, then you pay attention to what am i doing in this bit because the bit works now what am i doing am i standing still am i moving am i pausing why not i've just started to get into that thought process because the tour i've done this show so many times you know and i'm and when, and when you're on tour it's such a gift because you can look at what you're doing with more ease because you're not worried that no one has showed up or it's a comedy club you have to get off stage or you don't want to mess it up for the person after you. You know what I mean? You're not thinking about all that. So now I'm looking at, just just yesterday at the show in Salford, I was doing a bit and I thought to myself, slow it down. Slow it down. Do this with this word because I know the show inside out. I mean, I could be asleep and and I'd be, I would know the show. So that's a really, I think that will be valuable um, in terms of voice and all that stuff. It's a bit DIY because I know people get a lot of help with this kind of stuff. It's a bit DIY, but...
0: Do you get? Have you worked with a director? Have you worked for, with? For
1: um, for the show, I worked with because um, I was so worried that it wasn't stand up be enough, and I was having a complete. So Lander was like, "You better just 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 talk to um, Paul Paul Byrne.
0: Paul Byrne, gotcha. Okay. And
1: because I was very worried about it, like I just I just didn't. It's it's typical of me, right? I just thought this is shit. This is shit. This is shit, and I needed some external person or force that I recognized to say this is not shit. And so that's what he did. And he, he helped me in a lot of other ways. He took out a lot of dross and made it, helped me make it tighter.
0: I love that you use dross there as if it's an insider technical term. <laughs> what we would say about this bit is, it's dross.
1: Because <laughs> I, I was going to say another word and I thought, no, dross is more polite.
0: Were you Sindhu V as opposed to Sindhu Venkat Narainan? Well done. 16 letters, ladies and gentlemen. Let's watch someone sign that. <laughs>
1: amazing
0: (laughs) Um, so tell me about the decision how long have you been Sindhu V was that just for stand up
1: that was for stand up you cannot go to open mic and say please announce me as Sindhu Venkat Narayanan that's just not on it's just not on so my very very close my best friend she's my best friend but if I say that then other friends I have who are really close to me get offended but she's my best friend Um, uh, she lives in Mauritius well, she's the best friend I've had for the longest time. Like anyone else who's listening, that I'm, that, ah, uh, anyway. <laughs> you know, female friendships after 40, it's intense. It's yeah. Intense. Okay, anyway. Um. So, she used to call me Sindhu V in school. Okay. So, Sindhu V, Sindhu V, and it was like a joke. And then when I went to my first open mic, they were like, oh, so, what? What, and I was like, oh, Sindhu V, because you cannot reasonably expect people to know what Venkat Narayanan. I mean, that's just no, the whole five minutes you have is over. <laughs> so it was just Sindhu V. And then, and because it was mine, I didn't want it to have anything to do with anything to do with my wider family. And that okay. was my name. And then, uh, and then I, and then I, we were taught that we should have a Facebook. I didn't, I was never on Facebook. I never got into Facebook. And they said, oh, you should have a Facebook account because then you can get gigs and stuff. Facebook doesn't let you keep V. You need letters. So I put EE. Okay. And that has now become my name in comedy. And, and it's a, perfect.
0: You, so you're happy with that as a state? You don't plan to transition back to your actual name? No,
1: no. I mean, what person wants the whole Western world to be struggling with their surname, Venkatnarayan Narayan and Venkat? Oh, no, thanks. It's, it's fine. I mean, it doesn't bother me at all. And also okay. because Sindhu V was something Ambika always called me, Ambika is my best friend. It's fine for me when I hear it. I think, oh, Sindhu V. And a lot of people in India can't say it. It's a very long name, even in India. So it's not like I haven't grown up thinking, if this could just be shorter, everyone's life would be fucking easier. Like, <laughs> okay, I, I, I've enough. always had that. I was nine the first time I spelt it correctly. Just imagine. Mm. I was nine years old. I mean, there's six A's in it. it just, I kept dropping an A. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> I'm interested in an aspect of your childhood in Delhi that you referred to obliquely in a couple of videos, not necessarily stand-up material. And tell me if this is a, if I'm in the wrong direction entirely here, but I feel like you you a couple of times obliquely referred to the darkness or lightness of your skin colour. Oh, yeah
1: yeah yeah. As being
0: important. That's something I don't know. Oh, about. Oh, in India,
1: the biggest selling cream is called Fair and Lovely. Fair and Lovely. It's fair and cream. lovely. Yeah, to bleach okay. your face. Yeah, it, it, light skin is of, of a high premium, especially in North India, but in all of India. Okay. Yeah. And so I grew up hearing I was very ugly always my 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 mother's because your skin because your skin seems very light to me is it not Well not and my Den- mother's like you okay. so obviously for north indians it was a disaster but my dad is a tamilian and they're very dark but he's a really dark Tamilian. That's the thing. Like he's the kind of Tamilian. Other Tamilians see him across the street and they're like, oh shit, check out Captain Midnight over there. Like he's super dark, right? Which in India is, really makes people. And I've come out in the middle. So my mother was, my mother's sisters used to always say, you know, she has nice eyelashes and a good nose, but she's so dark. You'll need a very big dowry for her. And I was little, I was 5 and 6 and 7 And I used to think, well I must be a real disaster And then I became 5'10 And everyone was like, give us a fucking break My mother was like, are you shitting me? First with the dark, now with the height And I was like, I'm sorry You know, so it was a kind of a big deal um, I mean, you're talking about it so lightly Was it, was it a really big deal? Was it like a yeah, big I've, deal that you felt, dealt
0: with now? Because that I, sounds I,
1: awful I have felt ugly my whole life too, But I know intellectually That that's not the case Okay and I know, especially when you move to the West, everyone looked at me and was like, oh my God, you're so, which is, I was so ashamed that YSL had picked me because I thought it must be because I was a freak. I did not attend anything after. I don't have a single photograph. It's a joke with my friends in Delhi how, uh, how uh, upset I was because I thought they must have picked me because I'm a freak. And my parents didn't go. I mean, they would never go to a modeling thing anyway. So I think I felt terrible as a child. I'm sure, I mean, I know I did, but then I know now that it's not true. However, you can know something is not true and then you can carry it with you anyway. And I did throughout my 20s. I mean, I was, like, literally, I was so insecure about my appearance. Um, and it helped that I was in the West because I heard a lot that I wasn't. But I used to always check with people do you think I'm pretty? Do you th-? I used to ask people this question what kind of weirdo? meets you and says, by the way, do you think I'm good looking? And you're like, what what am I supposed to say? I used to have two questions when I moved here. Do you think I'm good looking? And do you think a boy will ever like me? That was my two questions. I have friends I played basketball with at university here in England who said when we first met you, we thought she must be taking drugs because no one asks such questions. But I felt I had a limited time to reprogram my thinking because I had to go back to India and get married. So I was like, I've got two years. I've got to figure this out. It was so weird, so strange. Do you feel that that? Inse- I sound crazy, by the way. I <laughs> I really sound insane. Well, I but don't think you. Go,
0: I don't think you do sound insane. You sound like you were very insecure. I wonder how secure you are now, and how much of that security is to do with family, and how much of that security is to do with comedy.
1: Well. My, secure, my insecurities, uh, grow, even in my 20s and 30s, I weighed them, uh, this is why I achieved a lot of things. Because if I couldn't be pretty, I could at least be super smart. Do you see what I mean? If, if I couldn't have a boyfriend, I could have a kick-ass job kind of thing. That was always the thing. Um, having a family, having a family, I don't know that I equated it with security or not. Like I didn't think I was a beautiful mom which I kind of regret because frankly I was so skinny then that if I just appreciated it then I wouldn't, you know what I mean? I'd have had like those years of appreciation. But anyway, by the way, blah, blah. I didn't think, I I didn't think, oh, I have kids so that somehow changes how I look. Um, And comedy, I don't think about it so much anymore. I don't. um, Because, because I think, you know, because I'm doing everything the way I like. I wear what I want. I dress how I like. I, I um, you know, comedy is so kind in that way. It's a very low barrier to entry. You don't have to be stunning to be in comedy. Not at all. You don't have to wear makeup. You don't have to dress a certain way. It's not like, you know, it's not like that kind of performing where you have to look like this or be like this. And I love it for that reason. I love that I can show up in whatever I want and no one will judge me. They'll just... Think about what I'm saying that is that is my that is defining for me. Don't look at how I look listen to what I'm saying. I think I've been doing that my whole life because I was so afraid of how I looked um, and also so afraid of failing in the looks department and then therefore then not being able to get married and then never have a good life and and it wasn't just my parents, it was the whole society, but it was also our larger family. you know I was considered just. Awful looking, and it was said, and it was spoken with sympathy. Oh, you're so, oh, you're so like this. Oh, but that's fine, you know. And I think you just carry all that stuff with you. And my mother was very, uh, is very paranoid about her own looks. Not not paranoid. It's very concerned. She's very, um, you know, always was on diet and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, so I think for me, comedy has been great. I don't think that much about how I look. Um, I also, let's be honest, because of my genes. I've got fantastic skin for my age Relative to all my friends And so I kind of feel much better than them I'll not lie I mean, when we go out, I'm like I look so much better than any of these women And I don't wear a lot of makeup, see So that always will make me feel a little better And um, (laughs) It's a fact, I can't lie I can't lie Um, But then, you know uh, Now it doesn't really matter to me so much I also don't think I'm ugly anymore That's a fact I know that it 's so hard for me to say this because people think i 'm being uh somehow bullshitting, but if you talk to my closest friends, you know i 'm not bullshitting. My friend Ambika, she was the first human being in my life who ever said to me i was good looking She was sitting next to me, and she turned to me we didn 't know each other and she said and she was always very she was very worldly, and I was like a puppy, but not just a regular puppy it was like a lab puppy just didn 't know anything. She looked at me we were we were, we met when we were just about to be 16, i changed schools. I was taken out of a school and put in this school in Delhi that I didn't want to go to. And we were there for the entry exam and she looked at me and she said, do you know, you're very beautiful. No one had ever said that to me in my life. And I remember, I just have never looked back. She's still my fucking best friend. Hello. I mean, that's how much I fell in love with her. And to this day, she always says, oh, Sindhuvi, you're so stupid. You were always so beautiful. And so I think, you know, uh, Like, I I don't feel ugly now, but I think I carried it with me for a very, very long time. Are you happy? I am happy. I am happy. I am... I can now enjoy all those things that I wasn't really able to enjoy back when I was lost. You know, I, I, I derive so much joy from just the specific exact life I have. And I feel so incredibly grateful that comedy found me when it did, Um, I think I would have ended up happy. Like, I was not going to sit around being unhappy for too long. Even if it meant doing drugs. I'd have found some kind of happy. (laughs) I'm not some, I'm not, I'm very much my mother's daughter. You know, you always, always punch up. You know, you have one life, be happy. And for me, comedy is a bit like a, it's like a flame of a candle. And I'm always doing this to it. And so that, you know and I like it I think Ishan Akbar said to me you put so much pressure on your comedy don't do that take it more lightly uh, but I can't and I won't I've always talked about
0: uh, India the biggest selling product in India is the skin lighting cream and people would never believe me so it's beautiful to hear you say that
1: you yeah, know yeah, it is it, 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 I mean it's true and also norms have changed so much in India now Lot, you a know, lot of Indian models and um, Bollywood actresses are tall and dark mm-hmm. and my mother always says to me too bad you were not born 20 years after <laughs> then you will finally be good looking I'm like but don't you think I'm just objectively she said no no now you are very nice you have your children and a husband it's very good so that's going good old bum old that's faithful old, all, yeah 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 but you know she always said to me she, she just it's, it's such a cultural thing you know it's such a cultural thing and thank god that I didn't uh, that I that you know I didn't let it run me over
0: any others if not I'd like to wrap up by asking you you excited about going to America being repped in America now yes. what do you want what is what's your ambition comedy wise
1: I don't have a specific ambition. Is,
0: is it just to, to continue being successful? Because now that you feel that comedy's found you and it is giving you stuff, do you know what I mean? It's looking after you, comedy. You are giving to it and it's giving back. Yeah. Rather than having a specific goal, is it that you just want that to happen? or I, I just I, want
1: this to keep happening.
0: Is, is there I a danger keep- of diminishing returns unless you continue to rise meteorically?
1: I mean I don't know the future I don't know how it will feel if I you know have shows no one wants to see or you know I don't know the answer to that I just I very much feel like as long as I'm writing and gigging and it's working that's great <laughs> honestly that's what it is and I think I'm not being disingenuous that's, gen, that's, that's what I think I, I don't I, I haven't been in it long enough to know oh that's what I want you know what I mean I haven't I mean w- maybe there's a cycle you go through and when you've done the cycle once you think okay these are the bits I'm not going to do the next time around but you know I mean I don't I, I, I have to I want to write another show and I want it to do really well
0: Are you going and, back to Edinburgh this year?
1: I can't because the, the tour is extended into the autumn
0: Ah oh, what a drag
1: I, <laughs> I was so joyous when they said, you know, the, they said, so this year we don't think you should go to Edinburgh. And I just started screaming with joy. I didn't even wait for them to say, because we've dropped you or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I was like, ah, I'm so happy. So, you know, there's a second show. And then there's these scripts that I'm working on that are very much, uh, you know, they speak to me like and nice, you know, and so that's exciting. I would like those things to work out. I don't have a specific goal. I mean, I want to... Um, at the very least, I want to keep this level of comedy, uh, comedy energy in my life. Thanks, Sindhu. Oh, thank you, Stu. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have time for. Please join me in thanking Sindhu V.
0: Thank so that was Sindhu. A joy to talk to her. And she calls herself a graduate of the podcast. What a special and exciting thing that is. Um, I, I'm so pleased. You know, she's just one of those people. I think sometimes in comedy when you have been doing it for a little while and you hear that a newer act is making phenomenal leaps and bounds, you think, bastard. But on this occasion, uh, and, and almost every occasion when you actually meet them and go, oh, it's not some nebulous idea of success, uh, that someone else is enjoying, It's that, you know, it's that Facebook effect, isn't it? You only ever, or Instagram, whatever, you only ever see people publicise their successes. So you can't help but feel a certain amount of envy and then you meet them and you go, oh no, I understand why this specific thing is important to specifically you. I understand why this is, like Stephen Bailey. I just saw on social media earlier today, a very funny, fabulous comic, Stephen Bailey, Um, is uh, he's doing some sort of reality show on a ranch. And honestly, looking at the... I'm so thrilled for him. Looking at the description of the show, I know so little about reality telly that it it could have been a sort of spoof on... (laughs) It could have been like a Charlie Brooker type thing. It's a bunch of celebrities, none of whom I've ever heard of, on a ranch in Arizona. And he's hosting it. But... You get a, You can look at that and go, wow, this guy's got a TV show. I'm happy for him or jealous for him as you see fit. But knowing Stephen as I do, it really is important to him to do this kind of really um, shiny uh, ITV reality show. He loves that stuff. He lives and breathes it. And so when you recognise that kind of uh, personal connection to what someone's doing the envy slips away and you go, what was I What was I thinking? Not that I was envious of Stephen talking to cowboys in Arizona. I mean, I'm actually thinking about it, I would quite like to do that, but possibly not the ones he's talking to. And um, so, anyway, that long rambling story, which should really have been a postamble, but wasn't, uh, was simply to say that it's great when good eggs do well. Hence, Sindhu V. So do check out her website, sindhuv.com on Twitter. She is at Sindhu, single V, funny, Sindhu V, funny. So uh, find out all you can about her and go and see her live at the Underbelly Festival on the 18th of April and, indeed, at Soho in May. That's that. Um, I, uh, I will post-amble at you in a moment, but just for now, thank you to Nathan Wood, to Peter Dobbing, to Rob Smouten, to Jake Crossland and all the usual suspects. And, um, yeah, we'll have, a little, uh, we'll have a little chat in a minute. That concludes the podcast for now, though, so uh, everything after here is just guff. <laughs> So I gigged in uh, Camden uh, at Fest, which I was expecting it to be somewhere else. Um, there's a, there used to be Jonglers, uh, Jonglers, Jongler, Camden, in uh, Camden Lock, and then briefly it became Highlight, and then the whole thing went kaput. And then those rooms were taken over by Just the Tonic, and then they apparently... I spent all week thinking I was going to do the current Just the Tonic gig in the in the old room, which was not beautifully set up for comedy so much as it was beautifully set up for whamming out chicken in a basket to stags and hens it was, it was possible to have good gigs there and a very funny thing happened there <laughs> years ago when I was the middle act and Jim Jeffries was there and another headliner who I won't name and they were they were doubling up one was doing uh, act x was doing bow uh, was doing uh, Camden and then switching with Jim Jeffries to do Bow. So, um, so by the time Jim got to Camden, uh, the sound tech sent him Act X has done the following bits of your material <laughs> and named three or four different bits of it. And Jim uh, looked kind of annoyed and deflated, and then brightened up when he realised that no one at Bow would have thought to tell Act X which bits of Jim's act he'd just done. So uh, <laughs> the 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 material. Pinching comic would uh, would arrive, and if he launched into those bits, he uh, he would quickly realise that they'd already been done. So anyway, that's fun. Um, but it wasn't in that room at all. I was I was really pleased. I was really pleased. I got there thinking, okay, i have to kind of mentally strap on all my armour and my, you know, that kind of what's it? Is it in in Hot Shots the Charlie Sheen Rambo pastiche? Um, when Or Rambo and Top Gun pastiche. When he's, I always think of him like there's an extended sequence of him strapping weapons and bullets and grenades to all his uh, gear. Sometimes backstage on a tough commercial club at a weekend, it feels uh, a bit like that. This was glorious. Um, and uh, it was really, really fun. But anyway, the reason I mention it is I stepped out of the... So what's going on with drug dealers in Camden? Because I've not been to Camden for a, probably not for a year or two. I just haven't happened to gig there and suddenly holy shit there were i mean you know there's a traditionally outside Camden town uh, traditionally it's a, a proud london tradition is people try and sell you all manner of drugs but there were hundreds of them they were just lining up i've never quite understood the sort of police position on that because clearly they're all trying to sell you drugs but um maybe it's better to have them where you can see them or something or if they if they're more visible then they're more likely to behave themselves in some nebulous way um, I, I don't understand that but There were so many of them. And the problem that I've got is that I'm too nice. So when someone goes, all right, geese, or whatever, to try and get your attention in case you're someone who's nervously... I mean, I very much fit the bill, I imagine, of someone who would be nervously scouting about, new to London, I've heard this is where you go buy the drug materials. Um, I I guess I look like that a bit. Um, Or a barely undercover policeman. That's the other thing about my face. So... I'm, I'm just too kind of socially polite. The amount of times someone would go, all right, Geese, and I'd look over and go, all right, and knowing that he's purely making the introduction to start a conversation about me buying some drugs off him, which I do not want to, but I it feels so rude. So I "Oi," to just blank them? So I end up acknowledging them, and then they're like, right, a sale, and they start walking towards me. I lost count of how many times I did that. I was laughing, which then made me just look... Um, like I'd already ingested whatever substances were on sale. Oh man, it's ridiculous! But it all turned out uh, beautifully. Got to the gig uh, unstabbed and had a really lovely show. So thank you to the. There was one Comcom fan in the front row as well who who wooed, uh, which was quite funny. Also, gig with Daniel Muggleton, who I'd never seen before, he was an Australian act in the UK. You should check him out. He's very very funny. Really enjoyed his set. Um, last thing, just before I went to bed last night, here's an idea. So I'm not going to get round to this. Someone run with it you could rewild fairy tales. Do you remember that fairy tales used to be really harsh, kind of um, like grim tales and stuff? They'd be really kind of dark and bleak. If you read the original Red Riding Hood, it's horrific. Um, but they were supposed to warn children about, you know, don't go off with strangers, don't trust people, people will try and trick you. And that that's kind of the value of them being handed down was predicated on that. And then, of course, they all got sort of cuddled up and, um, and uh, Disneyfied. Um, But it did occur to me, I was thinking about the Gruffalo. (laughs) I was thinking about the Gruffalo, who will be known to many of you. um, It's basically a very clever story. Can I spoil the Gruffalo? Yeah, it's been out for ages. What happens is, little mouse is going to get eaten by a variety of animals as he walks through the woods, um, but he just pretends, he kind of improvises this monster, the Gruffalo, and uh, scares them all off. And then he accidentally runs into the Gruffalo, as it turns out, it's true. So I don't know whether the subtext there is that. The mouse dreamt the Gruffalo into existence or just got lucky with his guesses? It's unclear. <laughs> and then the mouse walks back through the forest and all... and uh, it, like, the, the Gruffalo wants to eat the mouse. And then so he says, oh, don't... I it's mean, a very cool guy, very a cool customer, this mouse. He says, um, oh, you don't want to eat me. Everyone's terrified of me. I'm scary. And then walks back through the forest. The Gruffalo follows him. And of course, all the animals see, apparently seeing the mouse. Actually, what they're seeing is the Gruffalo. And they run away. And the Gruffalo's like, wow, this is a really hardcore mouse. I don't think I've done it justice, but my point is, I was just thinking last night, just before I went to bed, you could, that would form the plot. I mean, it's a really good plot. That's the genius of uh, Julia Donaldson. Certainly, a, a lot of her stuff, it, she's really good at writing mythic things, which you are like, oh, God, that could have, that tale could have been around for thousands of years. It, I just thought it'd make a good grown up horror movie. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it might not be a mouse and a gruffalo, but what it's about is fear. And trickery and weaponising fear. So, I don't know, do, you could do some sort of uh, satire about the Trump government with that. You could get on that if he's listening. Or um, or just a sort of uh, a pastiche horror movie. Or just kind of, you know, you could probably get away with nicking the concept and doing it as, as a horror, right? As long as you didn't include the word Gruffalo. So there we go. <laughs> Something to think about. <laughs> I mean, there are notes that I'm glad I wrote down. And then there are notes that I think... Was that worth it? Was that even... It probably wasn't even worth a tweet. Anyway, that's all for now. Um, Send me your rewilded fairy tale ideas. Like, not fairy tales anymore. Send me uh, your ideas for children's stories that could be turned into horror films successfully for an adult audience. And that's my... Oh, that's me having to get on with this. There was a notification. I'm normally quite good at removing them, but there we are. That's all. Send them to me um, at comcompod or uh, uh, info at comedianscomedian.com and I'll read out the best ones, if I get any. <laughs> Otherwise, feel free to be about your day. It would be good to have a proper producer that worked on this stuff in advance, wouldn't it?
1: Bye for now. <laughs>